0: Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. Uh, We're recording on, I guess it's a Thursday night, it's a rainy night here in Atlanta. The Hawks have lost four, five, six, whatever, some number of games in a row. Glenn, Glenn, tell me it's going to be okay.
1: Uh I mean depends on what your definition of the okay is, but it's definitely gonna be okay. Uh, I, I I think if you if you like were sure they're gonna be a, like something like a top three team in the east, I don't think that's gonna happen. Um not completely impossible. Um, but yeah, it looks it looks really rough right now. I'm sure we'll get into different aspects of that, but it's they're gonna be fine in the big picture, I'm sure.
0: I'm kind of fatigued of watching the defense at the moment sure um um, i know that there's some coaching things but on just a basic kind of level you know i normally distrust the coaches who say well it's effort we got to try harder we got to do it for 48 minutes it's just kind of cliche and deflecting and it's like, Oh, that's just kind of coach speak and kind of gives them cover. But like when I watch the Hawks these days, it's, you know, they have God only knows what ranked defense, 26, 27, 28, something like that. They have so many guys who are getting cooked on the perimeter. Yeah. Kalinari is getting cooked on the perimeter. Bogdanovich. That one concerns me a lot. Yep. Kevin Herter, like, uh, okay, this is totally separate from Steph Curry because Steph Curry is Steph Curry. Take that game and just chuck it out the window. But for the rest of the season, it's like, okay, Kevin Herter is a pretty good defender and he has a shot a lot of the time. But when you know, just talking in terms of like blow buys, like he starts out okay. And he, you know, he makes those first couple of back pedals with his defender. And then, you know, he either like backs off and kind of, you know, let, you know, kind of avoid the foul and kind of makes too big of a path for the defender, or he'll just like bail out and just kind of put an arm around either side of the defender. And it's like, you kind of, you got to skirt the gray area of kind of, You know, stay with some contact, but don't give the overt foul, and don't give them the clean path to the rim. Because you've got when he's defending dribble drives, he's he's got a good start to it. He just doesn't finish it all the way to the rim. But anyway, I'm just concerned with the blow buys, and I I don't want to pin that on Nate. That's not Nate, I don't think.
1: No, and I think you know. Hopefully, we can jump in here and and kind of clean up the conversation as we go. But that's what makes to me makes this conversation hard. Is that to, down to the individual player there's there's kind of different issues going on there um first of all herder you know he clearly um you know was not physically 100 when the season started right um that, sh- that showed up most obviously in his shooting yep. now he's making shots i wonder how much he's struggling with what are the actual like rules enforcement right now because again steph curry I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure any of the fouls that were called on him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I don't, yeah. I'm not sure any of them were actual fouls. I, I'm not saying about the rule book, but by the, by the way, I see the rest of the league officiate this year. Correct. You know, and and that's going to happen. I think superstars. We all know yep. that that's an eternal, you know, universal truth in the NBA. Um, but I think he's definitely been one of the better um, defenders. Uh, he's still. You know, next to Hunter, probably the best on the team at working over screens. Maybe delon is kind of, you know, a, a close third, um, and stuff. But I, I do think it, it looks to me like maybe he's struggling with what am I allowed to get away with, you know, and and um, yeah. how much how much you know physicality do I need to bring and to trust the officials to call it consistently. And I think I don't want to make this conversation about officials, but I think officials. Are going through a massive adjustment that we're all going to have to just live with, you know, and and this is going to take some time, and that's a whole that's a separate thing, but it could be showing up a little bit more in Herder's play because of, um, because of the fact he is asked, you know, more than other guys to kind of chase over screens and and take the guy who's going to more often have the ball, and 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 things like that. Um, with I think Hunter, we you and I talked about Hunter was exceptionally good to start the season, clearly. He's showing up on the injury report uh, every day now, and he's, um, you know, maybe not, uh, you know, capable of physically right the second of handling as much, you know, even when he, if, and when he gets cleared to play another game, to me, Bogdanovich is always going to be a problematic kind of point of attack defender. And, you know, I think his, um, one of the reasons he fits well next to Hunter is that, you know, McDonald's is, is better defending up to bigger positions. Correct. Because he was strength, Right. So that that can kind of, kind of work. Um, and then there's always the question of what's, what's the best thing to do with Trey. Um, Cam has been, you know, I think in a, mostly good. Most when I say, when I, when I think of Cam being a good defender, I think of more of a disruptiveness than just being more of a stopper. And then Delon has played and not played. And we've kind of, talked about that and that's not that's not right. every single person you know but but like Bogdanovich having a hard time keeping kind of a legitimate perimeter threat in front of him should never really surprise anyone it's just a no matter of how you're going to kind of it just seems up. like he's worse this year though <laughs> yeah and but now he's on the injury report that's right? true and, yeah 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 his ankle's bugging him yeah for sure and that and that was kind of an issue last year it's and, and to me a good some of this goes back to you know what he was fighting through in the postseason last year should, you know, just bring so much more attention to how good Capella was then. And he's sort of the next, he's sort of a separate, but the big piece defensively, and he's clearly, uh, you know, not right um, physically yet either. Didn't play any in the preseason and was managing through, I I don't know how we describe it fairly, um, but uh, injury management kind of scenario, you know, if that's the best way to put it. and, he, and even whether it's rim running or um, diving to the rim, uh, you know, and pick and roll offense, sort of on both ends of the court, you can just see he's not jumping with the same uh, kind of um, agility and power uh, that we typically see him with and those sorts of things. So all of that to me is adding up. And then separately, there's the scheme that they've been running. Um, but the, I mean, defensively, they're hard to watch right now. When they switch one through five, Gets Clint away from the rim. He doesn't have the ability to recover uh, the way that I think we'd normally expect him to. Whether that's just not quite having his legs, or whether it's injury management kind of kind of stuff that um, is part of his normal day to day maintenance for right now, I, I don't know. But you know, last year when um, they were at their best defensively, is when he could anchor and kind of stay in the middle and really affect shots at the rim near the rim and he's getting so far afield from the paint so often right now now in the last i think one or two games they've done more one through four switching than one through five switching so maybe there's a little bit of a move away from so much of the one through five switching we'll just have to kind of see the next few games how it goes but it's yeah i it's hate to try
0: to make trends based on golden state's offense because they're yeah, so different sure. yeah for sure yeah but um Yeah. I think the thing that bugs me is like as bad as they are on defense, like Trey's been okay. Like, especially in the half court, like he's in the half court. He's, you know, they give him less responsibility. Uh, You know, teams will, opponents will try to give him more responsibility. They'll try to make him the health defender, you know, the low man on the weak side and such. But like, He's he's been pretty good. Like he'll make those rotations, things that you know, things that he did not do in his first year, part of his second year. Like he does that stuff now. Like, and he's small, but he's quick. He's smart. He's got his hands are getting better on defense. Like, I think if if you told somebody, oh, Atlanta is going to be twenty seventh in defense after twelve games, everybody would blame Trey. And it's I don't think, I don't think it's very little of it's been him. Like he's been pretty good. The one thing that I would say about Trey is he's starting to freelance again too much in transition on transition defense. Like these plays of frustration. Oh, there's a turnover. What are you going to do? Get your butt back. No. And then he's kind of flailing around trying to jump at a pass that he's going to have no chance of getting. And then it was just kind of a lazy kind of play of frustration. But I think a lot of that has to do with losing. Hopefully that those bad habits get fixed just with a little bit more success. You know, you, you, you don't get frustrated and you don't do the, some silly things that, you know you're just giving the scheme away when you do that kind of stuff
1: yeah i I agree he has been good he's um he's where he needs to be consistently and you know when when when, um when i've coached smaller players i've always used the principle that you have to be where you need to be a little earlier than the the people who aren't and and he's he's better about that um now in terms of like some of the lazy ish stuff like taking the take file at half court or or going for that one's not
0: too bad that that's like yeah. there's some strategic advantage there
1: there is but there's still some habits like habits yeah. forming stuff that's not um great you know maybe that's yeah. for my, my coach showing up in the conversation, <laughs> but, but um you know habits 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 like, bud, but um you know uh but it, you know for me i it, it kind of starts with Clint
0: Yes, so many of those miss bunnies are just two points going the other way because it's number one it's like a fast break opportunity it's a fast break opportunity without the best defender in the picture it's just he's got to finish better and that just gives up so many easy chances when he misses at the rim
1: yeah and then on defense it's him not being in the middle not being close enough to the rim to impact plays consistently and then to your point earlier I don't care who you have in the middle well, I mean, it could be like the greatest, you know, uh, you know, big man defender of all time, but if the perimeter defenders are constantly letting the ball, ball hangers get downhill with freedom towards the paint, they're not going to be that effective. Right. And so the combination of Clint looking like he's not hundred percent physically and the issues they're having keeping ball hangers in front is just a recipe for disaster. Um, now scheme wise, you know, I, I don't want to get too technical, but switching one through five versus one through four, I think most you know listeners can totally get get their head around around that. Um, but I, there there's more, multiple ways. Well, there's multiple ways to do a lot of things, but when you're switching one through four, there's kind of straight switching one through four, mm-hmm. um, which is typically perimeter defenders switching all the time, right? And the big man staying in the middle. When the opposing team plays five out, that's a little harder to do, but what have you? Um up until about the middle of I don't know maybe to even maybe you know 20 games into Nate's run Nate's time as a uh, head coach last year um, they were doing what's called red uh, which I've heard called red one through four so called it red I think he, he, yeah he did he he called and Lloyd loved the red base switching which yes. is switching to deny the middle which is a different thing than your general one through four switching which means all if you can, can kind of visualize your Premier's defenders typically facing outward away from the middle of the court and not top locking, but kind of middle locking all of their players. And the big man is up usually like a step below the free throw line, calling everything out for the purpose of not just switching one through four as a general rule, but to switch when needed to keep the ball out of the middle. They're letting ball get middle a ton this year compared to all the last year sample and the LP sample and things like that. And I'm curious if the big wings that they have, even like if you think about Bogdanovich fitting into the concept of switching where he just needs to keep the ball out of the middle and not keep the the ball like in front of him, no matter where it's trying to be taken, I think they're better suited for the kind of that red scheme where the goal is to face outward, keep the ball in between the defender and the sideline and not let the ball come middle and clinch there in the middle to help basically discourage ball handlers from even kind of really trying to really force their way in that direction that's gone that red base switching where they're denying the middle seems to be completely gone they're getting Clint switched out like near the three-point break out on the sides you know and things like that but it it'd be interesting to me to have if if Nate would fill the technical question like that to get asked like hey you know what is kind of the concept here you know it's a is no middle of the same priority it was last year um, uh, when you're switching kind of what's driving decisions about what kind of switching you're doing um, that that's all interesting to me and that's what looks apart from is hunter healthy is clint's not healthy when is he going to be healthy are they going to you know to me that scheme stuff fits into how this roster fits as defensive units to me that jumps out to me maybe that's because i'm like, I watched the game as a coach because of my coaching relationship with the game, but that stuff jumps out at me. Like, I could, I would, especially like Bogdanovich is the perfect example of I could expect Bogdanovich to keep the ball out of the middle. I can't expect Bogdanovich to keep the ball in front of him, period. <laughs> you know, and I could especially expect Bogdanovich to keep the ball in the middle if Clint's there to further discourage the ball from coming there anyway. But right now, everybody's, you know, basically being asked to kind of keep the ball in front of you, and, the, and Nate talks about that all the time. We've got to keep the ball in front of us. We've got to keep the ball in front of us. You know, I don't know how realistic that is. I don't know how effective that is, and that's something I'm really watching. If that makes sense.
0: So, I, I, it almost feels like a segue to the other thing that I want to ask you about. But is this why Nate is so committed to the hockey line changes that he wants? collins to be with capella so that you if if for example you're switching one to five you still have another rim protector out there coming from the weak side if if clint gets sucked up into the action away from the rim
1: that's an awesome question and i think that is really logical um one of the reasons you might want to seek a guy like clint and get him into one three five switching is because that unlocks all of the help that john can give a lineup by being that second guy who can impact at the rim. Um, does that make it the right thing to do? I don't know. But that's certainly I, if I were like watching this team, I was like, oh, if you're not leveraging John's abilities to help a uh, helper at the rim, a guy who has, you know, really good athleticism to kind of cover distance on the court and kind of get in, you know, get where he needs to go to impact the play. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. I don't. It doesn't make sense to me for McDonavish. <laughs> doesn't make sense to me for Trey. You know, right. but as to unlock what John can do, great. But your backup, you know, and to your point, this is maybe why it's first. You know, first unit, second unit all the time is that you can't do that with Gallo at the four. You know, that's obviously a, a non-starter. <laughs> you know and so and that puts gorgie kind of in a tough spot um because yeah. what what you know what are we doing with him it's it's hard. Like he looks a little to me my word a little lost in terms of kind of what is the construct of the defense that we're trying to execute here which is totally different i mean it couldn't be more different uh, the difference between jc and gallo at, at the four but i think you're spot on there but i would imagine that has to be one of the reasons they want to do some of this is just because of what to maximize some of what John can give you
0: well the reason I said that that was kind of a segue to another question is like you know in watching the Hawks you know and thinking sort of theoretically about it when he's performing as well on offense as he is. You know, if you go back a couple games, two games, three games, he was having some just spotless nights on offense. And it just felt like, you know, with him out there with Clint at the same time, there was just it was hard to get him opportunities. Um yeah. so in your eyes, you know, what what can I mean it feels to me like he just he has to do more. But you know, when you're looking at it and you're looking at Clint being there with him. Like, what can you do to kind of keep him more involved?
1: Well, I mean, they—they've Clint has been less involved in the high screen role this year for sure. I mean, everybody on Twitter is talking about, and and some have directed questions to me around why are we running? Why aren't we running as much double drag? Um, That was such uh, kind of a a boom for kind of getting trade downhill, um, you know, before this season. But I do think they're putting. Uh, clearly putting clint and john into different areas on the court um where last year clint's first season playing with the hawks despite the trade you know the deadline the prior year um they were in each other's space quite a bit you know early on in the season And, and even you know into the playoffs at times kind of getting into each other's space clint is always looking for something helpful to do and sometimes that gets him kind of into spaces like where a coach might say, no, Clint, just stay down on the dunker spot. He's like, but I want to set a back screen for somebody or I want to do something, you know, helpful. For, and, and, and a lot of that comes from the way that D'Antoni and his staff kind of coached Clint when he was younger um, and stuff. But I do think they're keeping Clint kind of out of John's airspace. And I think that's why for stretches of games, John's getting you know more usage, more shot opportunities, even some of the passing opportunities he has. is because he just has a little bit more space and he's, he looks empowered to me in a way that maybe he hasn't been um, prior to this year, why does that disappear in the second half of game? Why has that disappeared seem, seem to have disappeared in the second half of games? I think teams are just kind of adjusting and bringing more weeks out help over to wherever John's trying to um, kind of act in that high pick and roll. You know, I think it really helps when John – is making shots the way he has been the last three or four games um, in the pick and pop where he's knocking down everything above the three point break. And he's left open to shoot um, up there, but uh, quite obviously, you're really maximizing trade the most when he's creating shots at the rim for his bigs. And, you know, there's sort of good and bad news there. Um, The good being (laughs) that Clint uh, in his ideal condition is, you know, pretty awesome at that um his finishing has been terrible by comparison this year um and it's not like it was perfect last year especially in the in the nope. playoffs there were times <laughs> um but he's still fast from the point of the screen to the rim he's fast he's yeah that his first step is long and quick which is unusual for a guy his size and so he has a lot to offer there and then the combination of him and john is a lot to throw at, throw at a defense um you know part of but i mean so your question was about jc and i i think in the first half they're, they're getting him a ton of stuff there in the second half they're kind of having to they're being tempted to at a time being um uh kind of forced to make a decision do we want to play him at the five to open that back up in the second half of a game after adjustments have been made and there's good, just like everything there's good and good and bad uh to that um i think right now <laughs> while the defense is struggling that play looking for like your strongest offensive punch is probably a smart thing to go with right now, um, which is JC more time at at the five. If you, because if you're, you know, until you can really kind of get that defensive baseline established there, you might as well go for, Hey, let's get, I don't know what, 12, 13 minutes of JC and Gallo together, which, which is really powerful offensively. um, if, you're going to be a bottom five defense with Clinton John on (laughs) anyway, probably might as well kind of swing that way. But J.C.'s been incredible. I feel like sometimes like when's the last time he actually missed a shot, you know, Yeah. (laughs) Um, you know, and which is just great to see, especially after the the contract, Um, some, some players um, naturally feel a lot of ton of pressure, Um, but he's been, he's been so good, but yeah, I, I, I think they need, I think he needs to be right behind Trey Uh, in sort of shots and and touches that are um, intentionally, you know, kind of cultivate for him in the offense.
0: Let me me finish with, I'm looking at his numbers, like for the last three seasons, and I'm rounding a little bit, his shot attempts have gone from 15 to 12 to 10 and a half this season. Yeah. (laughs) Is it okay? One of the things that has struck me a little bit the last, maybe four games or so it seems like clint ends up with the free throw line uh, almost the way like an elbow facilitator would but he seems like he's dead in the middle of the free throw lane or free near the free throw line area where you'd shoot the free throws kind of right in the middle with nobody guarding him just kind of trying to be there as a passer just kind of a you know give it to me I'll, i'll give it back to you or give it to somebody else that's up here and just kind of not even facilitate, but just kind of provide some continuity or connectedness or something so that it, he's doing something in the offense. Is, is there something that you could do with him? I'm trying to remember what game it was and what opponent it was. It was just a, a five who was just totally not a shooter. And they were just – it was almost like they, they just kind of put him out into space, not under – any pretense that this person was actually going to shoot, but just to kind of take advantage of the defensive three seconds rule and just say, yeah, okay. Uh, if we put him over here, you know, you either have to go down, you know, he was just, just a space consideration without any consideration for shooting, just take your non-shooting big and move him the heck out. Just because, you know, if, if you use the person who's supposed to be guarding him down on the paint, you're going to get a three seconds called on you. Is there anything you could do like that where, like, yeah, we know he's not going to shoot, but just put him over there anyways because you'll keep that man out of the lane?
1: Yeah, you can. And it's like I said, especially because he's the kind of big who's always looking for something helpful to do. Like, he'll set it, like, if he's on the weak side with, say, Bogdanovich, he's looking for an opportunity to screen Bogdanovich free into a left or towards the middle, you know, or, you know, towards a, a cut towards the free throw line. Same with mm-hmm. Herder. So there's a lot. I think there's a lot you can do there. Um, and as a matter of fact, when Clint is kind of in the middle to start a possession, say near the top of the key, they're running uh, what's typically called kind of their wide action, where Clint will look like he's either going, he's like right at the top of the key, and he's looking at the ball handler on one side and say, which is typically Trey, and say McDonough on the other side, right, and he's trying to decide, Trey, do you want me to come set you a screen, or do you want me to turn around? and go work a screen for Bogdanovich to come collect the ball at the top of the key. Mm-hmm. And that's called wide action. And typically he's going to go away from Trey and create that. So there's a ton you can do with Clint, um, um, not on the baseline of the ducker spot, not in the play, just because of how active he is. And I think it's harder to keep a rebounder uh, kind of under wraps uh, in so, in some cases when they're, you know, further from the rim, um during that portions of the play like that uh which creates other kind of leverage too now he's not been as effective as a rebounder and his uh running and <laughs> his ability to run the floor right now i don't really want him chasing a lot of offensive rebounds unless they're kind of obvious putback opportunities um but i do think there's quite a lot they can do i, I was i was just looking here john's first their first five game john's uh shots 11 8 14 11 16 Uh, And since then, uh, he's only hit double digits three times. Um, I think some of that was kind of the Philly game was a a blowout. Um, And then against Washington, um, you know, I'm not sure what was going on there because he had no, literally no personal fouls, but he only had seven shots. Uh, But that was a win. So, um, you know, so it's that there's against Utah, he had some foul trouble early. uh, And then against uh, in both games, you know, so, so with John, sometimes you look at, his shots, and it comes back to like, was that one of the games he, he had some foul trouble? But uh, I do, I, I think your broader point is like more consistent involvement uh, from John, more shots uh, from John. What can we do? Can that work with he and Clint? I think it can. I did, I'm just, I don't know if they have um, as much offensive creativity under the makeup of the assistant coaching staff they have this year as they had last year, but that's something to keep an eye on. But I, I think they need more. I think he needs more opportunity and I totally agree with that. What do you want to talk about? Um, Why, why things are going to be okay. You know, uh, like I okay. said, if you were you know expecting them to be, if you thought they were coming to the season as like a no doubt contender, you know, that's, I've been open about the fact that I think there's still one player away. From that whether you can internally develop that player or whether you need to make a consolidation trade or whatever that might look like to get all the way there. I, I, I think trade gets you a, a long way towards there, but in terms of them being a team, that's going to win, you know, you know, between 45 to 50 games, that's still uh, there's still a, a path, a very realistic path to that. In my view, the schedule has been tough. Um, and just like last year, you know, the first, you know, 10, 15 games were rough because they were getting guys back from injury and getting guys playing into shape. And then, you know, the schedule has been pretty brutal, you know, for them in terms of how much, how many games they've already played in a condensed schedule. So there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic here. You know, that always, for me, starts with Trey. Um, Trey is capable, if you get the right uh, kind of things around him, uh, carrying a team to, you know, in the range of a top five offense. I know the Hawks have never gotten bullied there. Um, uh, but I think with this roster uh, healthy um, and not having potentially if they can solve for the second unit drag um, that, you know, they are capable of kind of getting, getting there. And then the defensive pieces, whether we're thinking about Clint being what we know he can be when he's right, um, getting a Cogwu back, um, thinking about how good Hunter has been when he's been physically right on the perimeter, um, having two defenders like Reddish and Herder uh, on the second unit. Um, so there's just, there's, the, the roster still has a ton of depth, a ton of talent, a ton of talent. Um, and I, I just think the team kind of needs to catch their breath and get their bearings after, a real, after an admittedly rough start. Um, there are some schematic things that I don't know how this coaching staff is going to um, kind of try to solve for. Um, but you know, they were incredibly good down the stretch last year and into the post season. And I have to think that there are conversations and there is work and effort being put towards, you know, what do we have to get back, uh, do to kind of get back to moving towards playing at that level. And, and I'm still, you know, pretty, really optimistic about this team. Trey's that good. The depth is that good. Um, and, you know, they just have a lot of different kind of ways they can go. Um, to generate the lineups that make the most sense Um, you know I I hope to God that like I don't know a month or two from now we're not still talking about full bench units (laughs) but you know we'll just have to kind of kind of see where that goes but I'm still pretty optimistic about the team how about you
0: I'm optimistic in the sense that when they put Trey and John and Kevin Herter maybe DeAndre Hunter out there though, those lineups with those players that propelled them in the playoffs last season, they've been pretty good. Like those, those lineups are pretty good and you know, Clint can be better, but if you say, well, that's conditioning, I mean, that makes sense. I'm worried about the bench. I'm worried. The the whole vibe there just isn't right. Uh, Cam Reddish has twice as many turnovers as he does assists. It doesn't look like he's passing. To me, it doesn't look like Gallinari's passing. He's average. Gallinari's averaging point four assists a game, which yep. that's a staggeringly low total. Like he's playing fewer minutes, but um, that you know, even on a per minute basis, let me see if I can find a number here without killing everybody's time. His his oh, per thirty six minute assist total went from two point two last season to one this season. Like more than fifty percent decrease. It just feels like. Every time that Gallinari gets the ball, he's like, I got to score now. I'm going to do something. I'm going to go down in the paint. He doesn't feel confident in his shot. So a lot of it's just, I'm going to go try to rough somebody up in the paint and get a shot up or get fouled. But, like, the ball doesn't move. Like, Cam doesn't move the ball that well unless he's in the – like, sometimes when he's in the corner, he'll, like, make the hockey assist and, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll see that the next man is open and that'll be a good pass. But there are a lot of times, you know, if he's on the wing and he just gets it It's sort of instant shot. You know, if he's driving to the rim, it's, I got to figure out how to get it up one way or another. Like, it's just the passing on the bench unit. And then, you know, if they're playing DeLon, he's, you know, he's the kind of point guard that isn't necessarily your, your big assist rack or not. I wouldn't say passing is DeLon right strength. So it's like, it just doesn't feel like there's enough continuity in that bench passing wise if Gallinari and Reddish aren't doing it and they're not
1: doing it. Yeah, and more, and it's worse when Lou's out there not making shots um but yeah I mean I, I I think I feel like well there's two things I want to share here one is um kind of humorously I was watching um Houston and Detroit I think they played last night and Kelly I was watching Kelly O'Linick who's who got uh, hurt that stinks who got hurt yeah I know I think he's gonna miss like six weeks or more um but he was like when he get the ball, he would either shoot it or move it, shoot it or move it, shoot it or move it. And that jumped out and be like, oh my God, why isn't Gallo doing that anymore? You know? Right. Um, and it just kind of was a stark thing um for me. Um, but you know, but then I recall, like, especially the first five, six teams of the year, they were chasing mismatches so hard offensively and throwing the ball down into whether it was Hunter or JC with the smaller defender on either of them, or Gallo with you know, a weak defender on the other team's second unit or whatever that is. And they would bleed like seven, eight, nine, ten shots on the second clock, just, just trying to get the ball down into the mid post. Right. Um, which is to me, I mean, I think it's great to have that option when the opposing team puts a big wing on trade to go at whoever the opposing, say, point guard is defending. And Hunter right. is awesome as sort of a hammer, you know, in those yeah. situations, but to do it like as one of you know, the things you're doing pretty consistently across the whole game is not to me not what you want to do with the team that's built around Trey so it's you know and I um, want
0: them to do that for John Collins and they yes. do it with Gallinari and they do it with Reddish well Reddish just doesn't <laughs> never mind I didn't even finish that sentence
1: <laughs> yeah um, Well, I mean it's funny Reddish had a wild start but then he had like three or four games where he was within the construct of the offense and then yes. like he looked like he was doing the things that McDonald's does her does or if he's chased off he's working toward the nail trying to keep the shot in the middle the paint from the rim and stuff and then he's kind of gone back you know and he's a young guy maybe it's just a consistency thing but um but I you know it's what it, the the actions and the sets they're chasing and the shot profile they're chasing you know we can talk we we don't have to talk about in depth but you know Nate had you know pull up uh shots from two as a strong strong emphasis when he was in the head coach at the Pacers and that's what the Hawks are getting Right now, compared to the last few years with Trey, since they've had Trey on the team, is, you know, more shots at the rim, shots in the three-point line. And, you know, that's who, that's what Nate teams have been historically. I don't want to say that's what he'll always be because, you know, they were phenomenal last year at the end of the season. Um, but there's, there's this reality that in the postseason, opposing teams are going to work super hard to keep you off the rim and to chase you off the three-point line. And So, having guys like Herder, um, and, and and to a lesser degree, Bogdanovich, who can create their own shots in the mid range and do so, um, pretty with pretty efficient results, good in the regular season. That's not, I don't think, what a team really wants to go for right. is to say we're going to chase those harder shots that we have to in the postseason. I just don't think that's going to get them where they need to go, um, Nate my my view my own personal view can be a little i mean all nba coaches are stubborn to a certain degree it's just kind of almost required to to get into that job but a little stubborn a little rigid historically speaking but i you know I'm trying to keep an open mind and see where they might uh take this here in a little bit and you know the super the super curious part of me is what does trey think about all this you know what is tracing right. what kind of conversations is trey having with the coaching staff and right the way he's been elevated to uh, a natural kind of point of leadership is, is tracing. Hey, this is not what we, what I want. This is not what I think we uh, are going to be best served doing. And, you know, and I, I, I think uh, to kind of cap this little rant off is I do think the average fan doesn't always know like teams are almost always trying to build up to something. And when you catch them kind of in the process, it can be pretty ugly and it can right. be pretty clunky. What are they building? What are they building up to? I don't know what the answer is, but I, I don't think that they're um, embracing all of their methods right now. They're going to have to work towards it and solve it, um, and we'll see where they get here in the next, you know, ten games or what have you. Especially now that the schedule is going to be a little bit easier for them. So it's hard to watch, but I'm still feel pretty good about the team. See, I
0: when you say that they're trying to build up to something, I mean, I think we saw last season. That the hawks kind of did it in the way that nate wants to build it up to i mean I, again i feel I like i'm giving Nate a pass here and, and not the players but right with the you know i i don't think that their shot profile is ideal let's start with that but i think part of it is that they're not patient enough hmm. that i can live with the long twos if you know if I can give you some axioms that are sort of rules to go by that you check off the box before you get to that long two. I mean, what Nate wants is he wants them to use shot clock. And so you can probe for different kinds of shots during the process of the shot clock, but they're getting a lot of long twos with 12 seconds, 11 seconds on the clock where you are just, you're bailing out the defense at that point. And that's not what Nate wants. Like, he he'll live with the long two if you've hunted the mismatch and you, you're down near the end of the clock, but they're not they're taking it with a lot of i mean again, this is anecdotal. I would love to dig up the numbers, but this is just an idea that we got to on the fly yeah, yeah. so I have not well, prepared for this but I, I in my gut, I feel like that that their long twos that they're taking in this season are much earlier in the much earlier in the clock than the, what they were doing late last season and in the playoffs they they don't seem to have that patience to probe for more quality looks before they get to that long two and they're yeah. just taking the long too early
1: yeah and, i mean and and there's like just like anything you know the sample we're kind of roughly describing here there's sure. good and bad even in that right so like they'll uh, uh, when curter's on the court a lot of times the ato they'll run will start with kevin in the left corner lifting through often a dho at the left three-point break and then getting him downhill towards the rim through the nail towards the rim and he's awesome he's been awesome sure. with that lifting at left. if he right. stands that's, on the
0: dotted line he's magic
1: right and so that's the i mean you may that kevin may get to that shot eight nine seconds and but that's coming out that's of fine MTO, that's, you know, that's up short court.
0: i'm not yeah we're not, i don't want to talk about 11 footers like if you get a quality 11 footer and especially kevin. You, that's a great shot yeah that's that's his yeah. that's his money shot that's better than a that's better than a rim shot for him
1: for sure and and so i want to make sure like listeners don't think like we're casting no, that's all of that is this, yeah right um but what you know whether it's hunter or whoever kind of dribbling into that area off of the first ball screen 19 feet. um everybody 19 feet even down and closer to maybe 14 feet and the worst part is with the other four players just watching him do it that's not uh, how you put pressure on defense yeah. and I mean, I love like
0: the, Trey's fourteen footers. Give me that shot all the time too, like I'll put that with the Kevin Hider like if he could jump off two feet on balance yep. and you know have the airspace to get it up, God bless him that's a great shot take it
1: yeah and and, and Trey you know deserves all the empowerment and needs yep. all the empowerment that kind of comes with the role that he has, so that's that I think that's fine yep. as well. I could do without the thirty two footers with eighteen on shot clock, you know at times um but at the same time, if I were like hypothetically the coach, you know, by some like in some mystical universe where I I would I would not try to coach Trey necessarily away from really, I would want him to feel empowered, take the shots he feels good about. That's what you have to do with your lead. Yeah. School. And First. I think
0: that those set up some of his dribble drives. Like if he can extend sure. the defense, you know, that you just look at the 32 footer in isolation. Say, oh, God, that's awful. But like if that pulls the defender up two more feet, like right. there's a value to that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it, I agree with that. Um, I when it's when they're down, thirteen in the third quarter. Yeah, and the, and the, the other team's quarter, on a 7-0 run. That's kind right, of a shot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, those, that's the times where it's like, oh, that was. Terrible. Yeah, not that one. Um, yeah, but I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think we've kind of hit on all the things that m- make it hard to watch. For now, but the 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 officiating is really bothering. Anybody who follows me on Twitter knows the officiating is really bothering me. But I've said clearly, I don't think. Like the officials have it out for the Hawks. I just think the officiating is unstable right, right. now. And it's just something everyone's going to have to live with and kind of adjust with. There are extreme examples like the Chris Paul, you know, <laughs> the uh, possession on Derondry Hunter and the, the Suns game, which was, you know, just egregious. But I still whip a category of officials are letting defenders get away with more and they don't, and they haven't stabilized where that you know threshold is, you know. And that's just, they're human beings, you know doing these jobs that's just kind of how it goes sometimes but it is affecting my ability to just kind of enjoy the game right now hopefully that'll get a little better week over week um but i'm ex- yeah you know i'm i'm trying to you know be i'm people who know me know i'm a really optimistic uh person and uh tend to operate with a lot of positivity i i just you know just getting two, game, two days off in a row here before they have to play again um uh uh tomorrow night uh in denver um just i'm excited to see what that looks like you know having gotten a little bit of a break i, I don't know what the what uh hunter mcdonald's status uh will be but that's where the depth should be showing up on paper you know at least um so you know cam is capable of kind of playing bigger minutes and herder i like them finishing games with lives with herder you know sometimes even instead of Bogdanovich, i like that more gives you more two-way kind of kind of functionality there um, you know, in which game was it where um like Nate called two timeouts late um for offensive possessions and they rolled out with Reddish with Hunter with Herter on the bench. I didn't kind of understand that, but hopefully the team is moving towards closing more often with Herter, uh closing more often with some of the kind of the lineups. you know, I keep when I think about Herter being on the bench in the games, I keep going back to that game in San Antonio, you know, a couple of seasons ago where Herder <laughs> hit the game winner. And it's like that lineup with Hunter was, you know, doing great stuff on that play. Trey set it all up. John's screen, John's ability to run to the opposite upper side of the floor. It's like I want more of that, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I but I I I know um, from my own experience with the sport and having been close enough to kind of um, you know the NBA version of the sport that teams are usually trying to build up towards a formula or built up towards a set of habits or a way of playing where things are getting better and more refined and they're doing more of what they intend to do and i i'm sure that's what the hawks are kind of working on right now and let's see how quickly they can kind of kind of get there and and then we could all start enjoying hawks basketball maybe as much as we did of at, at last year that sounds good i'd I like that idea <laughs>
0: to go back to the officiating yeah i agree with you like i'm not going to focus on whether or not it's for the hawks or against i mean in the aggregate i'm sure it's it's fine and they're getting you know roughly the same whistle as every other team excepting that some you know maybe the officials are slightly sensitive and you know coming into a game where they know it's trey just because you know trey and Harden are kind of the poster children for this issue. So you know that maybe in the back of some referees' mind they're a little bit sensitive, but whatever. I don't think that it would vastly out change the outcome of the season to this point. But I, I personally, you know, anytime the NBA has a a point at which they are going to allow more contact, that's not going to affect the superstars. It's not going to affect a lot of the on ball stuff. but off the ball. They're going to let a lot go, and I just feel like the Hawks are not taking advantage of that gray area to muck stuff up off the ball. If they're going to give you that free reign, they're really going to give you the free reign when the ball is on the other side of the court and your guy's trying to get himself open with this cut down the baseline, grab his jersey, hold him, give him a bump with your arm. They're not going to call that crap, and just, yeah. I don't feel like they're using and, that enough to impede the opposing offenses.
1: Yeah, and and specifically, like, you know, you and I are old enough to kind of be, think back, like, what it does look like in the 80s and the 90s. It's like, if you didn't know where a referee, where a, an officiating unit was kind of going to set that threshold, push those boundaries in the first few minutes of the game and find out, find out you yeah. know, right and, and and there's an opportunity i think for that and and they still are fairly young you know at those kind of you know hunters you know year three and reddish is right same same and yeah you know, and, and, and reddish so,
0: only has like 80 games in his career like right it's year yeah, three and hunter, but and hunter played what same, 20
1: is yeah. 20 something games last year yeah. so you know that that's totally understandable um but hopefully that's you know that might be i know a lot of listeners don't hear this but that might be a reason to play solo a little bit right now is he will get out there and, and kind of push the boundary you know, i mean and, and
0: that's not good i mean that's good not just because solo can do that but solo can show them hey look this is what i can do did they call right. you know when you watch that film the next day he right. can point out to the kids totally. and say look at this guy wanted to go down the baseline i didn't let him how did right. i stop him i was holding that guy.
1: right Right. And in this area, you know, you are kind of in this little blind spot, yep. especially when the, the, the higher the ball is on the court, the more the officials' eye, eyes are away from what's closer to the baseline. There's sure. a, a few things like that, you know. Um, but these guys are not as old as me and you. They're, you know, in their young 20s. So let's give them a little chance there. Uh, but hopefully they'll they'll kind of sort that out as well. Because I do agree that they're, um, in, on average, the less physical team in every game, you know, yeah. and that needs to kind of, kind of change. And just so... Listeners know I have this experience with officials whether I'm watching a Hawks game or a different game or what have you. I'm just frustrated because I'm like you know the thing that makes me I'm curious about is typically every season points of emphasis are well socialized with the teams and you can even kind of go on nba.com slash official and find points of emphasis for this year and there's nothing like I, I what I think um, there's been all the talk about Trey and Harden and the unnatural plays and stuff. But one of the sure. things that, one of the things I feel like I'm seeing, and there's been no reporting on this is that the, uh, the NBA wants there to be less variation Stoppages. between the way. Oh, <laughs> well, well, no, what well, the thing for me is like the way that the post season is officiated is so different from the regular season and the bucks took massive advantage of that smartly right, uh, last year with their, you know, three set, you know, defensive three seconds and just all the holding the pj tucker stuff and all that sort of stuff and i wonder if the idea is we want there to be less like we want that we don't want the game to be so different in the postseason than the regular season so let's open it up for defensive um for defenses in the regular season and just kind of try to carry on that carry over that baseline into the regular season I feel like that's what I'm seeing is like possibly when I try to guess at what is going on. That's one of the things that kind of comes up for me. It's like I wonder if they're trying to create more uh, a more consistent you know officiating baseline from the regular season, to postseason, which would be a great thing, I think. But just tell the teams that's what you're doing <laughs> if that's what right. you're doing, you know. And, and maybe they have and and they're just really told all the teams like keep this under wraps. We don't want anybody talking about this publicly. Or maybe they haven't. The, the way the players are dealing with it, it looks like they haven't had a, anything in that area socialized. So I'm frustrated for the players, and, and not just Hawks players, but across the league. Like, what is the new normal? Uh, and maybe the officials don't even quite know themselves yet. In, in the grand scheme, that's fine. It's all going to be okay. The officials are are good officials across the board. And it's just a matter of everybody kind of figuring it out. But it, it is, I mean, full transparency. It's impacting my. Uh, um, ability to enjoy watching uh, a good game. Uh, um, still very much enjoying it, but let's, let's hope that I, you know, I had a milestone birthday, Kevin, recently. Sometimes I, in the last two weeks, I've been like, is this what I am now? Am I like grumpy? <laughs> I'm not grumpy. That's not, my, it's not a thing I am ever. <laughs> but these officials are making me grumpy at So let's hope that uh that that does organically move to a, a place where everyone's kind of um, uh, adjust it.
0: Yeah, for me, I mean, I just think it's, and I'm definitely grumpy. Uh I played my kids and their significant others were streaming video games the other night and they wanted me to play with them. So I played with them and on the Twitch stream, the people that were chatting, it's like, who's the angry old man? It's like, yeah, that was, that was me. I was the angry old man playing video games with the kids but um
1: did, did you put them in the back like uh Jokic got heath there <laughs> <laughs>
0: maybe the video game version um <laughs> for me it just i think they just want a different product like they just television wise and aesthetic wise like stoppages in play are bad you know free throws or make for awful tv and awful entertainment i mean i guess you can kind of fill the time with a stat or a video or something but it just i just think from the product point of view like you know if you look at it from the thousand mile view like those stoppages from refereeing events where you blow the whistle and you restart things those are bad so i think they try to minimize that even as the game gets more physical and the the playoff thing is just you know taken to the nth degree when teams are trying to scrap for every little bit it's like well, now I've got to let a lot of stuff go, or I'm just going to have to blow the whistle every two seconds. But, yeah. you know, free throws are down. It was 17. Uh, I guess I should do it by attempts. But but free throws are down. Last season, it was 21-8 attempts per game per team. And this season, it is, what did I just say, 21.8. Right. This season, it's 19.9. So it's down about two free throw attempts a game per team. So I think they're just trying to keep the stoppages to a minimum and, you, know, you probably can't come out and make this a point of emphasis. You can't say the point of emphasis is we'd like more continuity, because then teams are going to be like, well, screw it. We can really push the boundaries.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then the, the teams are like, why, why, why didn't you tell us that in July, because P.J. Tucker would be on a max contract if that were, <laughs> if that were the yeah. case, because <laughs> yeah. of his ability to operate in the gray space. And I, I'm a huge P.J. Tucker guy. I didn't enjoy him in, in the postseason last year, but no, I love those good. guys that, yeah, he's good, and he's uh, so... uh industrious i'll use that word um i think my that, favorite but, pj
0: tucker fact is that i think he was the same draft same team as andrea bargnani like he was the raptors oh, well. other pick season, yeah which seems pretty amazing
1: yeah, totally totally amazing but but this is like the optimist to me is like if they can have a more consistent officiating baseline from regular season postseason i think that'd be awesome so if that's yeah, what I, they're trying to hit i'm rooting for that i support that 100 just percent. it's just, it's just it's, it's ugly right now, you know, yeah. and we'll just have to live with that.
0: All right. Well, things will get better because, for sure, right now the Hawks are losing a hundred percent of the games, and I and I feel like that has to ease up at some point.
1: Yeah, the office has <laughs> got yeah, the offense, even despite the flaws we talk about, the offense is coming around, but it yeah. looks like it's really coming around. The defense, there's some bigger issues there, but um, you know teams have to work on stuff uh, during the live schedule of the regular season. And, and like we said, I, I think they're going to be fine. Uh, um, they dug a similar hole last year and ended up just fine at the end of the year and had a great postseason. And there's plenty of time to um, kind of catch up on the standings uh, too. So let's uh, watch and, and enjoy as they uh, start making a move up the standings. Awesome. I appreciate the time, sir. Thanks for having me again, Kevin. Have a good night. And you.